All right, welcome to episode six of the Woke Antidote. SB here with TB. TB, how you doing? What's going on, SB? It's always good to be back for another episode. Uh, yeah, this is a a two week, uh, two episode week for us. So you know, uncharted territory for us, but there's just so much for us to cover. So um, you know, we had a great last episode on Tuesday, but we have even more to talk about today. So I'm I'm pumped to dive into all of this today. Yeah. So the episode five we recorded on Tuesday night, right before the State of the Union. And TB and I gave our preview of what we thought. So we we thought we'd open the pod right up with uh, our recap. So I'll throw it to you, TB. What were your takeaways from the State of the Union? Yeah, I mean, it went just about as you know <laughs> as as much as I expected it to. I think we all did. Um, so historically, this was one of the shortest State of the Unions. I believe it was just a hair over an hour. Um, Usually these are an hour and a half to two hours. So pretty quick. Um, You know, I thought when Biden was talking about Ukraine, I felt like that was the strongest part of his speech. Um, And for obvious reasons, I think that's something that we all universally can get behind and agree with. So um, I I don't think his, his state of the union was, was good at all actually, but if I had to pick one strong area, that was probably it. But man, it quickly fell off the rails from there. You know, once he started talking about, you know, things domestically, uh, talking about things like inflation, um, spending, and all that, uh, you know, what an absolute disaster. Um, we're gonna talk about some some gaffes and some uh, some particular moments that stood out to us that were either funny or just like sad because that's just the state of the country right now but um overall i don't know how anyone watching that could watch that and feel very confident and happy in the direction this country is going in um so yeah overall i i'd probably grade this like a c minus a d um you know again his ukraine stuff probably spares it from an f but it was it was painful to watch yeah and on the ukraine stuff it was funny because it almost felt like is this a state of the union of the U.S. or is this a state of Ukraine, right? I mean, when have we spent 15, 20 minutes on one topic like that? So that was interesting that he he spent so much time in it, but it kind of makes sense because that is the one thing that he could actually talk about that they've done. Now, what was interesting, if if you go back and listen to the last episode, my prediction was that he would come out guns blazing and say, we've done this amazing job on the economy, on COVID, just pretty much epic gaslighting. And there was some of that, but where I think he kind of went farther than I thought was when he basically talked up this progressive spending wish list. So he kept going on about things that he wanted us to do, he wanted the Dems to do and the Republicans to agree with it, but he didn't actually talk much about what they've done. So And that makes sense because there haven't been any accomplishments of this administration. So on on one hand, he didn't have anything to talk to about that yet. Still hyped it, of course. But the big focus of the speech was several things that, oh, these are great things that are just about to blast the country off into a positive direction. But we just need the Republican vote. So it kind of felt to me like instead of a state of the union, it was just a spending wish list. Yeah. 
Yeah, he had like a, a a great quote, and I'm kind of skipping ahead to what I was planning on talking about in a few minutes, but um, he was talking about like the cure for inflation, and he's saying that you know raise wages, not prices, and he completely like misses the point. You know, if you raise your your wages, then the at the end of the day, that the the cost of that's going to be passed down to the consumer. So he wants to push things that are further driving inflation and then he wants to continue with this crazy spending he keeps championing build back better as this you know this this huge accomplishment a great success for the country when it's done the exact opposite um so you know you you raise a really good point he hasn't been he didn't prove any success that they've done his entire messaging was just give us let us spend more money and then we can accomplish all these things but with zero evidence that what they've done so far has worked or will work. So I, again, as an American citizen, I left that speech not feeling confident at all that there's a very strategic and measured approach right now into what they're doing. It just seems like they're throwing crap at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. So a couple spending details that were basically throwing things at the wall. I loved the quote unquote infrastructure decade which basically was to combat racism, I think he said after that. So that was just completely throwing something against the wall. And then Biden, he basically stole Trump's points about Buy American. I mean, this was such a big topic of Trump in 2015 and 2016. And why he won is because he was saying, look, the, the parasitic elite class has totally sold the country out. We let uh, China join the World Trade Organization in 2000 and shipped all the manufacturing jobs overseas. Um, Companies have been doing this over decades for higher margins for the companies, but lower jobs for the US middle class. And I remember when Trump was on this, what what were were the elites and the liberal media saying about Buy American? They basically implied it was racist, if not directly called it racist. And certainly they were saying that it wasn't gonna matter at all. So it's funny when, Biden has no accomplishments to speak of, and then he basically pivots to having this populist Trump message that everyone hated until now Biden gets to say it, and now it all makes sense. Yeah, I feel like and that almost is a perfect fit for our upcoming segment on woke whiplash, and we have other examples of Biden saying that, but that would fit in perfectly there because you're absolutely right. Build, uh, you know, build an buy American or build an America. That was, you know, you, you were called a racist for doing that. Um, you know, tr- that was one of Trump's biggest uh, criticisms. Or uh, So it's just very, very hypocritical that he's saying that. Um, and, and, and he had he had quite a few blunders along the way as well. Again, people, it's OK to misspeak. You know, we do it on the podcast from time to time. People are human. But he <laughs> he, he just made such very simple gaffes that kind of just like feed into this uh you know this kind of this vision of biden that people have of him just being this very you know senile old man very weak um you know those are all the things that he projects which you don't want as a leader um and you know he he had some great examples of that where he said he was trying to give a very passionate speech about you know you can surround uh, Ukraine with tanks, but you'll never break the hearts of the Iranian people. <laughs> and you can see Kamala Harris right behind him, 
mouthing uh, Ukrainian. So that was that was great. Um, and then, yeah, he just he just he would lose his train of thought while he was talking. So the entire time I'm like, oh, my God, this is such a disaster. Like, how can anyone who voted for this guy watch this and be like, yeah, I, I made the right decision here. The country's in great hands. Like, if, if, if it wasn't so sad, it'd be a lot funnier. <laughs> yeah. Why do why do we want this guy dealing with what could be a possible prelude to World War Three? This is not the guy that we want for this. So that's just like you said, it's it would be funny if it wasn't sad. But um, moving on here to uh, to woke whiplash, which we got some in the State of the Union. I mean, the fact that the I think the quote is the answer is not to defund the police. This is just stunning. And look, I, I think even the Dems, maybe several months ago, they tried this messaging for a couple of days that they were actually for funding the police and no one actually bought it. I can't believe that was even in the speech because even if you're far left, you are aware that it was the Dems that wanted to defund the police. So the fact that they're attempting this hashtag woke whiplash and epic gaslighting, it just shows you these people are so out of touch. Even if they want to, you know, kind of, you know, if they, if they want to project that, they are are pro funding the police now at least give a little bit of a background that yeah you know based on a couple of you know a b and c this is why you're now pro funding the police but no they just come out they say it directly and they expect you to not even remember what they previously said yep you're absolutely right this is the purest form of gaslighting and we talk about that so much but this is a, this is probably one of the best examples of it where you know a year two years ago that defund the police was a major part of their platform so many you know prominent uh, liberal politicians were running on that platform they were all about that I know being in New York City that was a big talking point in any of the local elections um, AOC for, you know she for sure was talking about it a lot Um you know, major, major people were, were pushing this this narrative. And now they're saying, oh, actually, it was the Republicans who were defunding the police. We want to fund them more. It blamed the Republicans for this. I mean, how stupid do they think we are? And, and they, they actually must think that. They must think that no one's paying attention, that the people will just believe them blindly. But you don't have to be a conservative. You don't have to be a Republican to just see with your own eyes and just watch videos from recent times or read read quotes where they were literally pushing to fund the police. And all this is coming down to is they're looking at their polling numbers right now, and they know that on all the different issues that they're standing for, you know, intense COVID mandates, um, you know, open borders, and now, you know, uh, this, you know, defunding the police, they're seeing that these are all losing issues for them, that they're not winning here, and people are getting turned off by that. So now they're trying to spin the narrative that, you know, with gaslighting that, nope, it wasn't us saying that it was our opposition. So it's super frustrating. Uh, I really hope they get called out more for that because they just keep saying it and it's, it's not true at all. Well, yeah. And, and you mentioned COVID and there's a lot of whiplash on that. So there, there's a video of Biden with a mask on walking outside with no one around him. And I think that was either Monday or prior to the State of the Union on Tuesday. And then, of course, where the State of the Union goes, we're inside, not outside. 
and nobody has masks on. So, you, you know, I, I see this in my everyday life, and I'm sure you do too, where I'm still seeing people have masks on outside alone. And so I'm wondering, are, are they the ones that are watching CNN and watching Biden when he's outside alone as well? What are they thinking about the State of the Union? What, what, did, what kind of messaging did they have to hear from the Dems to actually think this is normal? Um, because it really is not normal. So, and of course, Biden, you know, talked about him and his administration helping uh, COVID and now it's major success. But yeah, it, it's it's what you said. They're looking at the polls and they know it's a losing issue. And so they're attempting to gaslight us and say that they actually weren't the ones that were for these lockdowns and for these policies. But I, I think people are going to remember that they were when they vote in, in the fall. Yeah, I mean, this just shows that they're not following science, they're following political science, because, as you said, the day before, he's walking alone, wearing a mask, and then literally the next day, he is at the State of the Union, you know, shaking hands up in people's faces without masks, and, you know, what changed in 24 hours? Did the science change that dramatically, that all of a sudden, now you're you're good, you, you were unsafe to to be walking outside without a mask the day before, but the next day all of a sudden you're safe to be in front of everyone. So it's things like that, that should be very frustrating to the, you know, the every, the average American, because for the past two years, their lives have been shut down. They've been told that they need to be locked up, that they need to wear masks at all times, get tested all the time. Um, You know, they have to, they have to pass all these rigorous uh, mandates um, they were forcing children, and they still are, to be wearing masks in school, forcing children to be eating their lunch outside in the cold. So they're doing all of that, but yet they are the specials where they can then be in this, you know, this small room all together and, you know, partying it up like everything is normal. That should really piss off people, you know, like that just shows that there's a hypocrisy and a double standard in this country where if you are part of the elite class, you play by your own rules and then, you know, the rest of us, the peasants, we have to follow the things that they won't even follow. So that's, that's a, a complete hypocrisy. And that, you know, it's things like that, that, that those are reasons why they're going to lose the midterms this year. And I truly believe in 24, they're going to equally lose that as well because people are just tired of the, the double standards. Well, and here's where we've got to give big ups to Ron DeSantis because he this week had an amazing clip where he understands that the masks are total theater at this point. And I, I don't know what event it was, but whatever it was, he was at a college and he basically told them, told the college students behind him, take the masks off. I mean, <laughs> and that was just fantastic. And we don't know if DeSantis is going to run in 24. It does look like Trump probably will. But that's why people like DeSantis so much is because He's not playing these stupid games that so many politicians are. He gives it to you straight. And the, the American people, I mean, look, they elected Donald Trump, who is most known for a show called The Apprentice. And they elected him because he told it straight. We just want the truth. And when we're not getting the truth, that's when the American people are going to be looking for alternatives. And speaking of places where we're not getting the truth, and so we're hopping into Woke in the Wild here, we're not getting the truth on the energy prices in the country. And this has been a huge topic of discussion because obviously, you know, inflation affects everybody and that's frustrating. But 
you know, inflation, you don't necessarily see it in great detail. Like I know that the 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 ribeyes that I've bought, I, I know they've gone from 16 to 19 bucks, for example, but I don't have a checklist of every item that's gone up by a certain amount. Gas prices, you damn well sure know when your gas prices are going up and you know how, how much they're going up because you get the numbers right there. So you, you can't sugarcoat it. People are fed up about this throughout the entire country. And the problem that we have here is the U.S. is not committing to more energy production in the U.S. Yeah. We are out here saying that, yeah, we're, we're shutting Russia off from um, selling oil to the rest of the world. And we have Mayor Pete on, on CNN or MSNBC saying we might actually talk to Iran to buy from them. That's on the table. Um, there was news today that the U.S. is sending a delegation or did send one to Venezuela. And so that probably means we're going to be looking to buy from them. So I don't understand how we can't admit that maybe these ESG, these green energy policies didn't work that well in the U.S. And it's time to actually increase the oil production. So the people in charge, it's not a serious country if you're not going to be energy independent, which we're not right now. And we've spent tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions on green energy and it comes along slowly. And ultimately, when the wind doesn't blow, the wind energy is not going to work. So we need oil. We need more production. And it's just peak gaslighting by the administration to say that they can try to solve the problems without increasing the energy production on our shores. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's just insanity because right now, you know, the world's in, in this collectively in a conflict with Russia, you know obviously not as directly as Ukraine, but I would say we're certainly opposed to what Russia is doing. And yet here, the United States is buying millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions worth of oil from Russia, which is effectively funding them, you know, and that's, that's a huge problem. And then what you're talking about with Jen Psaki, you know, the, the, I believe it was a Fox News reporter asking her, you know, why, you know, do, don't you think that maybe we should be get more energy independence? You know, are we, are we, you know, funding Russia by doing this? And they just keep, she keeps parroting the talking points about the need to invest in green energy. And that's not going to solve the problem right now. There, there was a great tweet from Elon Musk where he's like, look, you know, drilling oil is, would be horrible for, for my business, Tesla. But right now, these, you know, these times call for drastic measures and we need to do that. We need to get that uh, autonomy so that way we're not so reliant on them. Um, I think the EU, you know, specifically Germany, they're actually starting to come around to that. You know, too bad they didn't listen to our warnings before, but you absolutely have to be independent and be able to produce your own energy or otherwise you're going to be propping up these foreign powers who, you know, would be weak otherwise um, without our complete reliance on them. Um, and, and there was actually a, a really funny tweet where someone had a screenshot of gas prices in a county in California um, next to a picture, a screenshot from the movie I Am Legend. And it was showing that things have gotten so bad that gas prices in California are now higher than the gas prices in an apocalyptic movie. So that just shows how bad things have gone that, um, you know, it's just gotten completely out of control. Uh, and then with, with Mayor Pete or you know, Pete Buttigieg, I can say this with some actual, uh, you know, firsthand experience. I have uh, family from South Bend, Indiana. 
I don't know why he was appointed the head of transportation because he has no experience on this whatsoever. Um, for those who know South Bend, Indiana, it's not a great area. They actually are notoriously known for having horrible roads, just tons of potholes. There's just not enough in- infrastructure built into basic transportation necessities there. And then he's given this job. Um, so the fact that he is advising that we should be buying oil from you know Russia and Iran, I mean, it just it just shows his lack of experience, just how out of touch he is. And this is what Biden has surrounded himself with. And it's, it's speaking volumes right now. We're seeing the ramifications of that. Yeah, it's he surrounded himself with a woke administration. And a perfect example of this is there's a tweet today. So we're recording on Sunday. And the tweet today goes, the onslaught of state legislation targeting transgender Americans and their families is wrong. Let's finally get the Bipartisan Equality Act to my desk. This is Biden. Well, not Biden himself, but this is from the official Biden account. This is not the most important issue going on right now in the country. And I'm not sure how many people even support this. And, you know, we don't know what I don't know exactly what the Equality Act means, but we need to be focused on there is a massive inflation problem in the country. There is a huge problem with higher gas prices, and that's only domestically focused. We need to be solving World War III. How about maybe we have some conversations with Putin directly? That would be maybe worthwhile. I think Trump would do that. Trump would be having conversations with Putin. He would be having conversations with OPEC and Saudi Arabia to say, get down that oil or we're not going to protect you. I mean, there would be there would be so much more going on to try to uh, help the American people. And what the Brandon administration, it feels like they're just looking to support woke goals, woke spending, um, globalist ideas, and they're not actually looking to support the Americans. So I think that's a common theme of all of these policies is, you know, rather than increasing oil production in the country, which helps Americans, they're not going to do that. They're going to promote other agendas. And that's what's ultimately hurting us as a country is that the administration really is not looking out for the American people. It, I hate to say it, but that's the, the those are the facts on the ground. Yeah. And I totally understand that that issue for a, a, a percentage of the country, that's a, a huge issue for them because it directly impacts them. That's not lost on me. I understand that's a, that's an important topic for them. But just have the self-awareness, to you, as you were saying uh, so well, that right now we're in a state of emergency. We have, we're on the precipice of a world war, a nuclear one at that. And then domestically, you know, it's it's much more expensive to put food on on your plate. It's much more expensive to drive your car. Our retirement funds, I don't know about you, my 401k is down. It's, it's way in the red right now. It's bleeding. So these are just average Americans who are feeling real pain right now, that they're feeling that they need some help. And that's where our government should be focusing their attention on. And instead, they're focusing on all these woke movements that, you know, it's they're just trying to virtue signal and show, you know, how enlightened they are and, you know, what, you know, they, they say nice flowery language. But I'm sorry, we have things that are just much more important than that right now. I'm not saying never address that. But right now, the American people generally care more about these other things that are directly impacting their everyday lives. So it's as you said, it just shows how out of touch this administration is. They don't represent the average American. Um, it's it's really frustrating. Well, and speaking about not representing the average American, we got a lot of celebrities out there these days 
tweeting about how it's a sacrifice that Americans have to make. They're going to have to pay more at the pump. They're going to have to withstand higher wheat inflation, higher inflation from fertilizer costs that, you know, Russia exports fertilizer. So that's going to raise food prices even more than they've been raised already. And these these completely out of touch celebrities are multimillionaires several times over. They have tens of millions. They don't they don't feel uh, increase in prices because food for them and gas for them makes up such a tiny percentage of what they're spending money on compared to the middle and lower class which are spending a significant amount of their after-tax money on fuel and, and on uh, food and energy. So it just spare us the moral superiority of these liberals in high places, the elites in Hollywood and the news media claiming that we have to we have to suffer through high inflation because that's what we do to support democracies worldwide. No, I, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't vote for this. You didn't either. Most people didn't vote for this. And I'm not doing that. Yeah, uh, we actually talked about this theme on our last podcast. And there's nothing that frustrates me more than this showing of intellectual laziness where these celebrities who live in their, you know, you know, they they live in this nirvana, this or in their ivory towers, where they have so much money that they'll never be impacted by the things that they're asking for. It's very easy to say, "Oh, I want all these social welfare programs. I want people to be forgiven if they commit crimes." Uh, you know, they they want all these equity programs, and it, it sounds really nice. That's like if you listen to them, like, "Wow, what a, what great people! How giving and charitable that they are! That they are." You know, they want to give so much back to their community. It, you know, it makes them look like such nice people. But in practice, all the things that come from that higher taxes, higher cost of living, it's impacting all the people who look up to them, who are not as wealthy as they are, who are people who are living paycheck to paycheck. And they are the only ones. Those folks are the only ones who are actually dealing with the consequences of that. People who are living in minority communities, they're the ones who are getting uh, hurt by a lack of uh, police uh, presence in their in their neighborhoods, but these celebrities they can say all these things because they'll ne- and they'll never be impacted by it. So it's extremely lazy and it's incredibly dishonest. I I really have no respect for people who just follow the mainstream where they don't think for themselves. They just do whatever's going to be best for their their PR. It's yeah. You know, I there's there's zero respect for that. Yeah, and here's another one that relates to that. And this was from the View this past week, which is one of our favorite. Uh, shows to hit because it's just, uh, you know, one of the most ridiculous shows probably in the history of media, the fact that it's still going. But there is a guest on The View this week that said we should do away with the Constitution. So, again, it's it's these these people on The View and their guests. They they live uh, amazing lives in terms of what they have access to, their economic well-being. They're being paid millions of dollars to be panelists on the show. So the Constitution that guarantees them basic freedoms, it almost doesn't matter to them because they're not going to be negatively affected if we somehow did end up doing away with it. They don't have any awareness or perspective that something as drastic as that, but just in general, a lot of the ideas that these elites and the people that are on The View are talking about, they don't have the perspective to understand that those, the things that they're advocating for are decimating the communities that they actually think they're advocating for themselves. 
So yep. it's what you said, but I just think that, you know, this one was, we didn't know whether it was a lips gone too far or awoke in the wild because it was so obnoxious, but this is just what's what, this is kind of the dredge that's coming out of these shows these days. Yep. That, that really pissed me off. And I think it should piss off a lot of people. Like, look, we've said this before. This country isn't perfect. There's plenty of things that we can work on. The founders of our country, they obviously had their flaws. Um, and, you know, we're not saying the Constitution's a perfect document, but it's pretty damn near it. it found, it's the foundation for, frankly, the greatest country that's ever made. And I, I'm trying to say that objectively, you know, obviously I'm biased as an American, but we really are an incredible country. And I'm seeing what's happening right now with Russia and Ukraine and what these these poor Ukrainian people are dealing with, you know, this war zone in their own neighborhoods every day. I can't even fathom what that feels like. And just knowing that as an American, we have no we have not a single you know, iota of uh, of anything that Ukraine's dealing with right now. There's, we don't have to even worry about our neighborhoods turning into war zone. We really hit the jackpot in terms of being born at this time of this time period in, in history, you know, be, and being born in this country, we have it so good. You know, again, there's some, there's things that we can improve for sure, but we really compared to the rest of the world, we really have a, have a good. So for people to spit in the face of that and just rebuke the very founding of our country, again, this intellectual laziness. Yeah. Okay, cool. Like you're, you know, you, how tr- edgy of you to, to, to talk negatively about the constitution, but what, what would you have done? That's better. You know, we, this, this country is, it's, it's a great place to be. And, you know, we've said this before, a strong America is, has been historically great for the world and it should continue to do so. Yeah. It's that, that's the, uh, the definition of lives gone too far. And so uh, moving on to our sports corner, Probably the biggest story in sports is the MLB lockout. So we should be in spring training right now, and we're not. And it looks like opening day is almost certainly going to be canceled. And I just think this is a colossal mistake by MLB, whether it's the owners, the players, just everybody involved, because this is a sport that, you know, it already is sort of losing some of its audience. It's it's always seen that MLB is kind of this older sport that kind of older people tune into and they don't do as good of a job at having uh, generating young fans as some of the other sports do. And I think a lot of that is true. And I think a lot of the reason for that is because the games, they're too long, they're boring. There isn't uh, a lot of action happening at times. And that's partly a style of play issue, which I think they could address. And we're, we're not yet at that point where we can do gambling on screen and kind of things of that nature which might make it more interesting and interactive as you're watching it and it's just such a bummer that the players and the owners can't get together and solve some of these issues because like first first of all i'd love to have the season because i i'm an mlb fan i think you are too we'd want this to to go through but i also think that the two sides need to get together and and sort of say look there's some things we need to do to make this a better product. And, you know, on the positive side, I did see an article right before we went on with ESPN saying that they're looking to implement pitch clocks. And I think that would be smart because that would lower the time. Uh, I think pitch clocks, they've tested it in some minor leagues and it's shortened the games by 20 minutes a game, which I think is really smart. And I want to contrast baseball a little bit to the NFL where 
the, the NFL, they clearly know that they have a TV entertainment product. So the NFL, they are competing not only with other sports, but increasingly they're competing with Netflix and HBO. So either you're watching those shows or you're tuning on to the NFL games. And so the NFL wants to make the best products possible. And so they care less about kind of the history of the stats of the sport and more about making a good product. And I think there's a balance there. And I, but I think MLB is on the side of really just not making any rule changes. And personally, I think there's a few things they could do pretty simply, like just eliminate the ability to do the shift that puts more balls in play. I think pitching is getting way too powerful now where you've got a starting pitcher pitching for five innings and then eight guys closing out the game, throwing 98 out of the bullpen. So these hitters can barely hit. So Maybe you do something about that. You limit the amount of pitchers that can be used, or maybe you even lower the mound. I know that's been done in the past. So, I mean, there's things to be done that you can actually have a more entertaining product in the field. And I feel like now that we have the lockout, it's almost as if those issues aren't even being discussed. And that's the real issue. And, you know, we need to solve that, but yet we're not even solving having a season. So, yeah, I just think there, there's some issues to be worked out. But um, TB, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, first I'll say Rob Manfred's got to be the worst commissioner in major sports. I mean, it, it seems like he just drops the ball in so many ways. Um, you know, baseball is not moving in the right direction, which pains me to see. I, I played baseball in my life growing up. Uh, it's you know a very important part of my life. Um, and it just seems like they are really dropping the ball. And I, I do think both sides are being pretty stubborn about this. Um, but, you know, I'm hearing from some players like uh, Scherzer. He was talking about some potential ideas about how to fix the impacted um, start of the season by maybe expanding the playoffs. Um, I saw some ideas about potentially turning the wild card game into a best of three. So there's ideas being shared and, um, you know, whether you, they're all good or, you know, if, if there's some that we don't like, at least that those conversations are happening. Because, look, as as you put it, um, baseball has an identity crisis right now. It's really struggling to compete with, you know, the faster paced sports. And I, I think like uh, the other leagues, like the NBA, as an example, even though as a whole, I, you know, I, I, I love the, the Knicks, but. Um, as, as a league as a whole, I'm not as tuned in as the other ones, but I do, I do think they do a great job at marketing their stars. Um, they, they do, you know, people like Durant, LeBron James, um, they really do a great job of marketing them. Um, the NFL does the same as well, but, um, they don't do that with the, with the MLB. I mean, Trout is probably the greatest player of all time, honestly, if you look at his stats, but you barely hear about him. Um, you know, he plays in LA. I know the angels aren't, uh, the best, but still that's a major market. You would think that he'd get more media coverage and exposure, but they barely advertise him. So it seems like those that are in charge and Rob Manfred specifically are an aging dinosaur that aren't really well equipped to take MLB into this modern age. Um, and they really need to figure that out because I fear that, baseball is just going to slowly wither away, which is sad. You know, it's a big part of American culture. Um, you know, it's something that we can uniquely point to that is, you know, part of America. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I, I feel like the longer this drags out, it's just going to be left in the dust more and more.
Yeah, that's such a great point about the marketability where you have so many stars in the NFL and the NBA that are immediately known. I mean, these guys have tens of millions of followers on social media accounts. They're all over commercials and pe people know, know them. I mean, the average person in the street knows these people. The average person does not know who Mike Trout is for the most part. And I, I don't really think baseball has a lack of stars. I think it's, it's a lack of marketing issue. So I'm with you. I love baseball. I wanted to keep growing, but it seems like when we were growing up in the late nineties and early two thousands, there were a ton of stars. And yes, some of that was the steroid era and, you know, you had McGuire and Sosa and everything, but beyond that, there were plenty of stars back then that were very recognizable. Ken Griffey Jr. as, as an example, and yeah. these were great guys and great personalities. And yet, you look around now and you, you just don't see that. So I think they've got a lot of issues, but clearly the number one issue has to be actually playing games. And so, you know, I, I do think it's both sides. I know that the media is kind of taking the side of the players, but, you know, the, the players have to realize that they're making a lot of money, too. I mean, you look at some of the contracts that these guys have, the, the top stars get 30 million plus a year and plenty of those contracts were being signed in the free agency period prior to the lockout. So each side's got to give a little bit, but it's uh, it's almost like politicians to an extent where we have both sides are making so much money and they're arguing over billions of dollars, or I guess in the case of politicians, it's trillions of dollars, but two sides are arguing over so much money. And yet the American public sees that and goes, I can't believe this. They're, yeah. they're, they're making so much money regardless. How can they not agree to something? Yeah, I, I think gun to head, if I had to pick a side, I lean more towards the players because there was a really good point made that I was reading a, an article on this online where um, obviously the players make a ton of money. Uh, they're making millions and millions of dollars to essentially play a game. Um, so they make a great living. I don't feel bad for them. They shouldn't be crying poverty. However, objectively speaking, the owners, I think they raked in over $30 billion of net profit last year. So you know, if you're an employee in your company, right, and your company is outperforming expectations and they're generating a ton of revenue, and if you're, if you as an employee aren't getting a, you know, a respective increase in pay as part of, you know, that that huge surge in revenue, you'd feel upset too. Um, you know, you feel like, you know, that's off the backs of your labor that created this, so you should have a cut of it. So, that principle I, I understand. So I, you know, again, I think they're both being stubborn, but I probably lean a little bit more on the player side in this because you know if you're making billions of dollars. There's there's plenty of money to invest in your team and you know pay your players more. Yeah, well, and, and speaking of a league that makes really quick decisions, we have the NFL, and they are now ending all of their COVID protocols, so it's going to be totally normal going forward. So. TB, why don't you uh, give your take on that? Yeah, I mean, this is just COVID theater. Um, I'm, they were extremely strict throughout the season, constantly testing players, um, even in asymptomatic players. But didn't you notice that once the playoffs started, even though those mandates were still, and those mandates and protocols were still in place, miraculously not a single player tested positive man uh, how convenient was that <laughs> like how stupid did they think we are it, it was very obvious what they're doing and as a business i understand it but you can't just 
you can't just lie to people. So this is just a business decision. Um, I know the NBA is another example. They're trying, they're alleviating a lot of their COVID protocols as well, because yeah, they like to virtue signal and show, you know, how with the, you know, the woke and the mainstream that they are by, you know, taking COVID seriously, but they're realizing what an impact it is on their business. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So um, you're seeing this very quickly die out. Yeah. And I think the one COVID policy that is remaining, that is just such a head scratcher. It's in New York City, Kyrie Irving. I think the latest on him is that the way that Eric Adams has set it up, he can actually go into the arena when the Nets are playing as a guest and sit courtside and not have to wear a mask and not have to be uh, vaccinated. And like you said, it's because of the money, because these these sports teams want to maximize the amount of money that they can make. But yet, I believe that Kyrie still cannot play home games because he's not vaccinated. So people were drawing up like the funny the tweets and pictures about this where basically he if he's standing inside the court, he if he's standing right over the line on the court, he can't do that because he's not vaccinated, but he can sit in the front row six inches or even less than that away and be unvaccinated and still be fine. So yeah, it, it's COVID theater to the max. And yeah, sadly, Eric Adams, I mean, it, it almost seems like in some respects, this guy might even be worse than de Blasio. <laughs> like, I just want someone to make it make sense. Where is the logic in that decision? And, and there isn't. It's just all COVID theater. Um, there's just no rationale to that where you can attend a game as a guest, but not as a player. Um, it's just the ultimate stupidity. And also players on other teams who are not vaccinated, they can still play at Barclays as a visiting player, but they, uh, but God forbid the home team has an unvaccinated player. Like it, it's completely illogical. Like I just want someone to sit these politicians down uh, or people in the CDC who are making these rules and just, how have them explain this because they can't there, there's there's no rationale to anything that they're saying and I, people need to confront them on this like i'm sorry this is just not natural <laughs> yeah and it it's why we have the podcast because we need to uh we need to be calling this out and 100%. speaking of other things that don't make sense so we, we want to circle back to joe rogan and this was a, a favorite topic of ours on the first couple episodes of the podcast before the kind of Russia, Ukraine and Canada crises. I mean, man, it's, there's been a lot of serious stuff going on in recent <laughs> weeks. But Rogan was a great topic because it showed that the liberals just wanted to control free speech um, so intensely. And, you know, Rogan hasn't been making too many waves recently, but I did like one thing he said a couple weeks back, I think it is now, where he was calling out, he was calling out Bill Gates for doling out health advice where you you've got this guy bill gates and he's all about you know he's got tons of these uh, uh he's got tons of these healthcare investments across the world and you know he's known for that kind of stuff and he he wants us to eat the bugs and all that and go to a, a meatless diet pretty much and so joe rogan kind of kind of sits there and goes look at the physique of, of bill gates this guy he is one of the richest guys in the world. I think he's number two behind um, or maybe number three behind Bezos and Elon Musk. He has the most money to spend on doctors to keep himself in good shape, 
to have a personal trainer. I mean, LeBron apparently spends a million dollars on his body every year. Bill Gates could spend a hundred million dollars on his body every year. So he's got all of the he's he's got everything to keep himself in good shape. And yet he's like a fat schlub. So if you're Joe Rogan, you're this MMA guy, you are pretty old and you're in very good shape. Why are we listening to someone like Bill Gates? And th this is kind of you can use this you can use this and and have an analogy for so many other things in the world where why are we listening to these quote unquote experts that don't actually promote what they're talking about? And we could even go back to Biden. I mean, Bi Biden is the leader of the United States and his family and Hunter is in a complete shambles. I mean, not that we're trying to hate on on members of President Biden's family, but there's a lot of photos of Hunter Biden smoking crack. So <laughs> do we want a guy that, that raised his family to, to be uh, be someone who is doing crack? We want that person leading the country? Probably not. So it's it's just the, it's just another example of these leaders that the emperor has no clothes. And I'm so glad Rogan called that out because kind of once I saw that tweet and once other people saw that video, it just immediately clicks. Yep. That was a great call out. Um, it's interesting that the government was so quick to jump on the, the, the health board here with COVID and talk about, you know, avoiding it so you don't get sick and all that. But then they ignore things like obesity, smoking, um, you know, not exercising. Uh, so those are things that, you know, if you're a very a physically fit person, you according to the data you will you will have a much better go with covid if you were to to contract it so that was never discussed it was never discussed like having a healthy lifestyle you know we we live in this world of you know body positivity i'm not saying that we should go back to bullying people and all that i'm, I'm not saying that at all but at the same time you should also be able to speak truth and objectively talk about what is healthy versus not and we don't do that at all for the sake of you know not wanting to offend people um, so that's a great call out by Bill Gates because the people who are espousing this, they tend to be people who don't live such healthy lifestyles. So, you know, how much are they really following what their own, uh, their own advice here? Yeah. And speaking of Bill Gates, he, he, uh, is apparently one of, if not the largest landowner of farmland in the entire country. So there's a, there's a thread by a guy called Ryan Peterson, He's the CEO of a company called Flexport, which is basically they, they try to have an they're basically an operating system for the global freight industry. So, you know, the massive, massive freight industry globally that is shipping containers across the world and having, you know, airplanes fly, you know, a lot of these materials. So he's got a ton of insight into all this stuff. So he was tweeting the other day about how you know wheat prices now that Ukraine and, and Russia export a lot of wheat, they're up 50% in two days. Corn prices, same thing. You've got natural gas, of course, is, is so much higher. And there's another one where if you look at the top 10 importers of Ukrainian wheat in 2020 and 2021, the top countries are Indonesia, Egypt, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Morocco. So if we end up kind of aiding the fact that there's a crisis occurring between these two countries, we're going to have shortages probably across the world. There's a lot of poor countries. So even besides the U.S., like the U.S. is probably going to be fine for 
for the foreseeable future. I mean, maybe we'll be in a worse spot down the road, but there's a lot of countries that depend on cheap agriculture from countries like Russia and Ukraine that are going to be in for a pretty big shock once they go and buy these products. But at the end of the thread, he uh, he linked to the fact that Bill Gates is the biggest private owner of farmland in the U.S. So all those billionaires that were uh, selling their stock and diversifying into farmland, you know, I, you almost wonder, maybe they had an idea that something like this was coming down the pike at some point. <laughs> it always seems like they're ahead of the curve. Um, it, rem- it almost reminds me of how Nancy Pelosi always executes trades and sells at the precise time right before things uh, are passed in, in the Senate or Congress. So, uh, so almost as if these people have some inside knowledge, but I'm, I'm sure they don't. Yeah, Pelosi, uh, Pelosi Capital would be the top performing hedge fund, no doubt, no doubt about it. <laughs> That's right. And the inflation, I mean, inflation is just crazy. Everybody listening, I'm sure, knows about it. Now it's even worse with the oil prices. Um, and that, again, leads into we'll finish up the pod with with our Bitcoin update. So, you know, Bitcoin as an inflation hedge, we've been talking about that for a while. And there was a couple other uh, interesting kind of um, points about Bitcoin this week, which was one. So the, the U.S. Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell, he spoke at a meeting on Wednesday and actual quote from him. It's possible to have more than one reserve currency. So. This has been a theme that we've been hitting on on this podcast is that maybe there's a chance that the U.S. dollar in our lifetimes and maybe even shortly loses its reserve currency status. And as recently as two years ago, this was seen as some way out there concept that only the kooks would would end up talking about. Well, now we have the Federal Reserve chairman saying, you know, not that the U.S. dollar would lose its reserve currency status, but it's possible to have more than one. So that's just a huge shift. And then related to that, we had a news uh, in the middle of the week that India apparently um, might be bypassing the Russian sanctions by allowing um, trades directly in their currency, the rupee, with ruble, the Russian currency. So that would be yet another um, example of the market share of the US dollar transactions in the world declining. And not going to Bitcoin at this point, going to other currencies, but ultimately, as we believe and we've talked about, we think Bitcoin is the most that is the best currency and it'll win out over time. So almost as if the the more that the US dollar loses relevancy, that's more opportunity for Bitcoin to gain relevancy ultimately. Yeah, uh, SB and I actually were uh, chatting about this right before we started recording, but um, look what happened in Russia. Once the sanctions cracked down and the ruble started dropping in price, Bitcoin was the you know the pretty much the number one currency that people flocked to. There was a huge surge in prices. It's down now because people are likely selling it because they they need money right now. But uh, that just shows you that people are looking at it as a legitimate uh, source of uh, of a currency as a store of value. So um, I think that. People are warming up. Those people, by the, I mean, what I mean by that is those in power, people who have been initially resistant to it. Now they're slowly starting to warm up to the idea of, you know, living with an, a, an additional currency like a Bitcoin. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, it's obviously still we got a little bit of a roller coaster right now, going back and forth in the green and red. But I think we're going to see Bitcoin moving in the right direction over the next uh, over the next year. That's my prediction. 
Yeah, and I think another, I mean, an, another set of headlines, which again, I just think it's it's just incredibly bullish on Bitcoin. We get Mastercard, Visa, PayPal, and American Express. They're all pulling out of Russia. So you know, if you're in that country and you've just seen your your country's currency completely collapse, you've now seen that your money really isn't that safe in banks because those can be seized. And now you're seeing that you can't even use the, the credit card network that you thought you could use because all of these Western companies are pulling out of your country. Well, maybe that makes some Russians think about, I really shouldn't be storing my wealth in these confiscatable assets. And so if, if everyone isn't familiar, there's something called the Lightning Network that uh, acts as a layer two to Bitcoin. So layer one would be the the asset Bitcoin layer two, it's you, you can have several transactions on top of Bitcoin in one transaction. And uh, I think um, Square with their cash app, they're already using Lightning Network. I think Twitter is using it as well for these mini transactions. So maybe you have a lot more adoption of the Lightning Network in Russia. And maybe you have smart Russians or maybe other, other people looking to give software to Russia as well that say, look, if credit cards aren't going to be working in the country anymore, we've got to build something new and we should build that on Bitcoin. And there's a company called Strike as well that they were instrumental in building apps or getting um, El Salvador to basically adopt Bitcoin and adopt the Lightning Network. I think they have the Strike app, which is very popular in El Salvador, and they're launching in other countries as well. Maybe they think about launching in Russia as well as a way for the Russian people to transact inside their credit card company. So I just thought that was huge news because Bitcoin, it can be several things. It can be a, a, a reserve currency. It can be an asset, but it can also be a payment platform if the right technology is applied. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, the more this, The more this happens, I feel like they won't really have any other option but to move to Bitcoin. So... And we talked about this before. Things will change when you move from a want to a need. And when you have that level of need, then the demand goes up and then it completely changes the entire dynamic. So um, I think this is the beginning of uh, what will eventually be a big boom for uh, for Bitcoin. But uh, now speaking of uh, things being pulled out of Russia, um, SB, I know you want to talk a little bit about uh, Facebook and Twitter. So uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, so Facebook, Twitter, also Netflix, right before we went on the pod, that news came out that those are being banned in Russia. And what Russia has done is they they were not happy with how Facebook was censoring citizens in their country. So they let Facebook operate. A country like China doesn't, but Facebook operate in the country. Um, we both know and everyone listening knows that Facebook can get pretty aggressive with the censorship. And so what Facebook was doing was censoring things that the, the Russia government didn't want to be censored. And so they said, you know what, look, if we're going to call your bluff, if you're going to censor things in our country, we're just going to not let you operate. And so that's been happening with with Facebook and uh, Twitter now as well, where I, I don't believe either are now operating in legal in Russia. And I think this is possibly a sign of things to come because we have the Western companies, they're not in China. They're now not in Russia. And the, those are two of some of the most powerful countries beyond the West. 
And what I think some of these governments have to decide and whether they're autocrat, you know, whether they're dictators or authoritarians, what have you, these governments have to decide, would I rather have the people of the country and myself as the government dictating the discourse of the country, or would I rather have Silicon Valley people and politicians and executives of these companies, would I rather have them dictating the conversation? And I think these countries increasingly are going to say, wait a second, let me take the country back. I want to dictate what, what is being said. So I yeah. think ultimately the, the ideal would be this free and open town square philosophy that we've discussed in this pod before where it's total free speech and anything, anything can be said. But ultimately, it's probably not going to be that. It's probably going to en enter a situation where it's either going to be the government having control of this or it's going to be the Silicon Valley executives and China and China and now Russia have decided it's going to be their government instead of Silicon Valley. I think other countries may well follow suit and we're going to see Facebook and Twitter drop in a lot more countries over the coming years. Yeah, I mean, SB, feel free to chime in here if you disagree with me. But my take is I think ultimately that's this is a bad thing where people, the citizens of a major country are going to be getting 100% of their news from state media. You're essentially going to become isolated and effectively be like a North Korea where you don't really have an understanding of reality. You're just being, you're getting everything from what the government's telling you. It's going to be a very manicured version of reality. So that's not good. But when on the other side of the coin, when you have the sources that are, you know, supposedly this public square, when they are actually, you know, censoring things and um, they essentially are becoming the arbiters of what truth is. I don't know who died and made them king, but um, they've taken on this power to determine what's truth and not. Um, so that's really, that's, you know, you, you can obviously argue against state media and right, rightfully so, but you at the same time, you can then also criticize what Twitter and Facebook are doing because they're moving into an area of uh, authoritarianism um, as well. So it's a sad state of the world where uh, these the Russian people, um, they are being forced into this, you know, backed into this corner where the Russian government feels like they have no choice but to do that. Um, and I, there's probably some bad motivations there as well. But um, we talk about this all the time about in the American media, where how much power social media has taken on and um, the ramifications of that. So you know, I, I think it's really important that they get called out on that um, when they get caught, um, you know, not evenly applying standards or effectively being a wing of, of the, the, the left. You know, that's that's not a healthy that's not a healthy social media. You want them to be a true public square, not some manicured version that's only supportive of one side and highly resistant to another. That's not good for anyone. Yeah, the ideal would be a perfectly neutral platform that is basically like the telephone companies where the telephone companies, at least not yet, they are not censoring what you can say to someone when you're on a phone call with them. And that should be the same way that these social media companies work. But instead, they've chosen to go a different route. And we see this all the time. I mean, on Twitter, for example, the trending stories on Twitter they have so much editorial content with them. I mean, the fact that they're chosen in the first place is an editorial decision as well. And there's been countless times where Twitter has banned conservatives and kind of every year and every month now, they sort of ban someone 
a little bit left of of what they they banned they banned the far far right first then it's the far right then it's the right and then next thing you know it's going to be anyone who's not a, a communist they're going to be banning basically so you know that's what they're doing so I, I do think that facebook is forcing these countries hands where facebook is saying yeah we're going to censor pretty heavily ourselves and you know now now a powerful country like russia is, is making a decision to ban them and I think uh, think some more might be in store. So I did want to uh, before we wrapped up, there is some late breaking news here about some stuff that we covered in the pod. So uh, so TV, I want to get your take on this. Okay. so we Uh, got we got a headline just came out. It says from Axios uh, scoop Biden advisors weigh Saudi Arabia trip for more oil. Oh, God. So why it matters, a hat-in-hand trip would illustrate the gravity of the global energy crisis driven by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Biden has chastised Saudi Arabia, and the CIA believes its de facto leader, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, was involved in the dismemberment of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi. But yet still, we're going over there and we're doing this, and we're not doing more production in the U.S., Oh, God. I mean, when will these people learn? Like, you are <laughs> you are literally funding people who want to bring you down, who are a negative presence in the world. You know, let's just keep keep supporting green energy. It makes everyone feel good. And, uh, and at the same time, you're just going to put money in the, in, in the wrong hands. Jeez, <laughs> they will never learn. That's all I can say about this. No, and they will and they will not benefit the American people by increasing the production, increasing jobs, doing all that, but it's totally okay for all these other countries and and especially Saudi Arabia. I mean, I, I can't I mean, I'm sure you remember there was all these events canceled in Saudi Arabia and that Washington Post uh, news came out and I'm sure there's we can find plenty of celebrity tweets out there talking about how they're shutting down shows in Saudi Arabia and all that. And yet here we are doing that instead of benefiting the American people by, uh, by changing the domestic energy policy. So yeah, I just thought before we closed, uh, we could get a live reaction to that because it's, we touched on it earlier in the pod. This is, this is an administration that is more focused on their agenda and their green and their woke goals than they are to benefit the American people. Yep, this is the sad state of the world, but that's that's what happens. Like we always say, elections have consequences. And I, Kamala Harris, she actually—I know we didn't talk about this, but I'd be remiss if I if I didn't drop this in at the very end. She gave the Republican Party the the very best campaign slogan: uh, "You, the American people, are getting exactly what they voted for." And how true is that? So, thank you, Kamala. Um, that's going to be a great slogan going forward. Oh, and one one thing on Kamala that that this reminded me of. So everybody knows that we, there's the Biden stickers for the gas stations <laughs> that say I did this. I just saw the first one with Kamala. So you put the Biden did this and then you put the Kamala sticker that says I helped. <laughs> so if, oh, that's we, uh, great. if we get some listeners out there, we, we would encourage you guys um, scope out. The uh, you can buy the stickers online to see if that would be something that interests you. But I think uh, once we wrap this up in a second here, I'm going to scope out some of those Kamala stickers. 
Maybe we should get into the sticker game, SP. I mean, that can be our first uh, woke antidote gear that we sell. You know, um, me, we got to call up the sticker company and we could uh, sponsor it on the pod. So if, if yeah. you're out there, sticker companies, let us know. We'll, uh, we'll throw some ads out for you. I will gladly post that in gas stations in the New York, New Jersey area. I would love nothing more than to piss off uh, the liberals over here. <laughs> love it. Well, I, we hope uh, everybody, you know, it stays, stays okay out there. I mean, it's, it's getting rough. We got a potential World War III. We got crazy inflation. We got the stock market down. So we're hoping uh, we can provide you guys with a little bit of a laugh before uh, taking on the news again tomorrow. So hopefully... Hopefully this next week isn't too woke TV and everybody's doing all right. Yep. You know, keep following us on Twitter. We are posting some uh, some great uh, memes courtesy of uh, SB's great work. So if you want some more laughs along the week in between episodes, uh, tune into Twitter. Also, feel free to DM us or tweet us if you have any questions that you want us to answer on the podcast or any topics that you want us to see us uh, discuss. Um, we're all about engaging with our audience, so uh, please keep it coming. Absolutely. All right. Well, cheers, everybody. All right. So long, everyone.